0: But I'm not sure if you are aware of this, but you can tell a lot about someone's spirituality by their haircut. Now I didn't get this off BuzzFeed, it wasn't like, what liturgical hairstyle fits you? That's not what I'm talking about. But I I, I do mean this, That at least I was told, that you can tell if someone is adhering to shared values in your company or your cult, at least by how they present themselves, okay? So that's what I was told during my second year of formation in seminary. Now, I don't remember what my facial hair situation was when I got here a year ago to this cluster, but at various different times of my life, I indulge in allowing myself to grow a goatee and a beard. So around my second year of seminary, I thought to myself at the beginning of the year, by Jove, I think I wanna grow a beard this year. Probably what actually happened is I forgot to shave for like four days and I thought, well, I'm growing a beard now. And then that stayed for the next seven months. But let me tell you about this beard, okay? Now, the men of my family have never been able to grow wonderful, full, thick facial hair. But boy, are we good right around here. This goatee mustache combo, that's our sweet spot, okay? So our genetics really like that. So in the year 2014, my second year of seminary, I had the most epic goatee and beard. I mean, like, it was beautiful. You could curl it on the sides. It was You could put a quarter on each side for how big my curls were on my mustache. And my beard, well, it was getting to the point that you could put small braids in it and make me look quite like a pirate. It was beautiful, okay? Now, around that time, I was watching this TV show. Now, all of this has a point. Don't worry, I'm not just telling you about my grooming standards. Around that time, I started watching a show where the main character, and many of the main characters, uh, the the important characters, have what's called a slick back undercut haircut. Now, if you polled 20 men in their mid-20s in 2014, you can bet about 10 of those guys would have this haircut that I'm describing. So what that is, is very long hair on the top, but it's plastered back with product, so it just looks flat, and, and then it's very bald on the back and the sides. It's the quintessential mullet of the 2010s, okay? It was beautiful. Well, anyway, one day, with this mustache-beard combo, I decide I'm going to go get a slick back undercut haircut. And I did it on Wednesday morning, because Wednesday morning, I had more time in the morning, and we didn't have Mass until 11.30 that day. So about 11.15, I walk in to Mass. Now, let me describe to you the chapel at seminary, because it's a bit different. I want you to imagine all of your pews facing each other because that's what the seminary uh, chapel is like. It's choir stall seating. So from the very back of the chapel, all the way up to the front, the pews are turned inward so that you are staring at your brethren. You can see the altar on one side, you can see the exit on the other. So that is the scenario in which I found myself on one March morning, walking into this chapel with my cowboy boots click clacking away on the marble floor. You cannot enter that place quietly. So, of course, my boots, walking in kind of at the last minute, making noise, uh, make everyone's heads turn towards me. And at that moment, I realized that we had about 80 Loyola Blakeburn high school students who were there for a vocational visit. So all they see is a debonair-looking biker walking in. All right, I mean, I looked like a pirate that was going to a ball. It was beautiful. I had a black leather trench coat, I'm sorry, black leather jacket on, my beard and mustache freshly oiled and curled up to the, oh man, it was beautiful. Slick back hair, not a hair out of place. It was gorgeous. And all of those high school kids were like, man, who is that guy? (laughs) At least that's what I think they were saying. But you know what? I I also know that the uh, formators, the priest faculty, were also in that chapel. And they were also saying, who is that guy? Not because they were impressed or jealous, let me tell you, no. But because they were sitting there thinking, it's been two years. How do you not know what our standards are? You can't look like that. Let me rephrase it. The way that it was told to me by my formator was, quote, a mature seminarian would know at this point that his appearance had gotten out of hand. (laughs) He asked me if it was a cry for help, my new haircut. (laughs) Because when guys change their hair, apparently they're thinking about leaving seminary. Spoilers, I didn't, but he was so concerned that I was having an existential life crisis because I had changed my haircut. But unbeknownst to me, I had been not informed about how a seminarian conducts their grooming appearance. I didn't know it was that big of a deal, but apparently there are standards and I was not living up to them. So I was being caught very unaware of a standard that I had no idea existed. Now, why do I bring that up for you? Because we should not be caught unaware in Advent. How does a Catholic function in Advent? That is what we should ask ourselves right now, because I don't know if you noticed. But Advent started! (laughs) Don't be caught unaware! So, since Advent has started, I will now tell you how it is that a Catholic comports themselves during Advent. Okay? So, we first turn to the second reading from 1 Thessalonians. And we see that Paul prays that the Lord would increase in the church of Thessalonica that he would increase their love. He prays that the love that they have for each other in the community of believers would increase, as well as their love for everyone else. So he wants their love for those in the church to increase, as well as their love for those outside of the church. And why would Paul pray for an increase in their love? Well, because the fruit of love is holiness. Paul tells them that if their love for everyone increases, then they will have hearts That are strengthened and this increase in the virtue of fortitude will lead to holiness so we can see that spiritually speaking an increase in one virtue leads to an increase in our overall virtue in the same way the church asks of us during advent that we treat it like a period of great anticipation and to help us grow in the virtues the church suggests to us three practices the church tells us to focus on prayer fasting, and almsgiving during Advent. Now, many of you might think that I am confused and merely just recycled a homily from Lent, but no, no. Advent is the first Lent. It is a time given to us by the Church to anticipate the coming of the Savior, just like creation waited in anticipation until he was actually born 2,021 years ago. While Lent is a time of penance and prayer, That period is focused on the anticipation of the passion of our Lord, so it has much more of a penitential feel. Advent is the anticipating, I'm sorry, Advent is anticipating salvation being offered to humanity when the Lord was given to us. So similar to Lent, we give stuff up in Advent, but different than Lent Instead of giving up a a treat or something good, what we normally do in Advent is add something else to our lives. We add something else, maybe opportunities that we don't normally have, so that we can grow deeper in our relationship with the Lord, so that we can better prepare for his coming. Should we practice a little fasting in Advent? Absolutely. Should we practice a little more almsgiving? Yes. Yes. Are we supposed to practice much more prayer during Advent? You betcha. And we, luckily, have Advent devotionals in the back of each of our cluster parishes so that you can take them home today. Seriously, take them home today, or you'll never take them home. But read a little bit of it every day, and by that way, you're better prepared for Christmas. Or you can uh, come to our Advent retreat today from 1230 to 5 at Church of the Resurrection, And here's something about the preparation of Christmas that you may not have heard before. You can add a decade of the rosary to your day, or just about anything, really. The important part isn't what you add, it's the fact that you add anything at all. This time of anticipation for the remembrance of the birth of the Savior is only as good as how much you put into it. So we can just let all of the hype of the season be where our knowledge comes from and where our anticipation resides. Or... We can do something different this year, like read the account of the, nat- read the, account of the Nativity in St. Luke's Gospel. We could meditate more on what it means to have an incarnation. Or we can do so many, many things. But if we aren't doing something, then we aren't conducting ourselves as a mature Catholic would conduct themselves during Advent. The worst thing we could do is just nothing. If we just show up to church for the next four weeks of Advent and then show up again on Christmas and have the anticipation of the day never meet our joyful expectations because we have not prepared for Christmas, then nothing is different than when we show up to any random Sunday and we aren't prepared for that Mass. But if we change ourselves, if we decide that this year I am going to actually prepare for Christmas, then the anticipation of the day does not go by lackluster and with disappointment. But we get even more out of the season than we ever have before. We are able to conduct ourselves as Catholics and properly prepare for the coming of the Savior. Advent started last night. Do not let yourself be caught unaware.